Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap for April the 2nd. Hope you're doing well. Uh, hanging in there at the Snow Tap Studios myself. I got a half day at the day job. I love that. Hopefully you guys are either off today because it's Good Friday or you have some time spending your family on this Easter holiday with vaccinations and everything like that. Hopefully you guys will be able to spend time with everybody. That'd be great. Great sports weekend. Uh, excellent sports weekend uh, with the Final Four Burns versus Berrios on Saturday night and the Bucks and the Kings. You got the Bucks tonight also against the Blazers. But we are not going to talk, well, we'll talk a little Bucks later, but we're going to talk about opening day overreactions as opening day happened yesterday. What's hap- What happened from that game? What can we take away? It's game one, I know, but we're all excited and we'll talk about the excitement. We'll talk about just the things that happened and what to overreact to, what maybe not to and say, all right, it's just one game. Then we will have another edition of Building Murph's Draft Manifesto talking tight ends today. So interesting one here, just a little disclaimer. I'll mention this after we talk Brewers, but we did not know uh, Big Dog Mercedes Lewis would sign with the Packers when we taped this. Um, so there is that context there where we don't had we are we didn't have that context. So just a little call out um, when we were talking tight ends. Uh, the assumption was Big Dog was not rejoining the Packers. He obviously is. So take that for consideration when listening. Lastly, we will just talk about the Bucks weekend, what they have looking forward to. Can they keep things rolling um, on this West Coast trip after their win against the Lakers on Wednesday night? But let's start with the Brewers. So the Milwaukee Brewers won their first game. They're 1-0. The undefeated season has begun. Um, the Brewers win 6-5. They come back in the ninth and 10th inning. Um, they were down three runs in the ninth. Uh, the Brewers just started to rally, and lo and behold, Travis Shaw, of all people, comes through with the big knock and ties up this baseball game. Lorenzo King could not walk it off for them, but then would get the opportunity in the 10th, given the MLB's new rule of putting a guy on second base. Lorenzo Kane scores on a Omar, or now on an Orlando Arcia, not an Omar. Omar Nervais did have a hit, but on an Orlando Arcia chopper. So, in terms of overreactions, I think the first one is Travis Shaw, right? Travis Shaw had a great game. He had two two hits, four, two, two for four. He had three RBIs. He was really good in this game. And it looked like the old Travis Shaw. He had a great at-bat that where he drew a walk from Maeda that scored a run that was one of his RBIs. Um, that was really impressive. And it, it kind of looked like the old Shaw. It looked like the Travis Shaw of 2018 that was a damn near all-star and was really successful for the Brewers. Now, I don't know if that's just one game, right? This is could be an example of it's just one game. Travis Shaw could end up hitting 220. And we could end up being like, why is Travis Shaw on this roster a month from now? But it was kind of cool to see Travis Shaw get redemption. And from what you read about Travis Shaw potentially bouncing back from like a fan graphs perspective was that Travis Shaw really kind of fucked with his launch angles. And when he fucked with his launch angles, it kind of led to him being a different player instead of just being the player that made Shaw successful in 2017 and 2018. And maybe... 
the whole idea of the Mike Musakis thing is gone. I think the Mike Musakis thing really screwed him up. I I don't know if anyone's ever asked Shaw about like how did that change you from a mental perspective, and I think we're talking more about mental health with athletes, um, more really more than ever before. And I, I just am curious as to whether that affected Travis Shaw, whether that was a real issue for Travis Shaw, and it kind of sent him spiraling a little bit. And now that the fact he has some competition with Orlando Arcia, but not a ton, and he's going to be the guy on a regular basis. I expect Shaw to be in the lineup on Saturday night when they play uh, or they face Jose Barrios. So yeah, great start for Travis Shaw. That was one of the definite overreactions from game one. Another one that I have that I thought about was, is Freddie Peralta really any different than he was in years past? So Freddie Peralta did not allow a run, but he basically did not have to clean in. He had two innings. He struck out six batters. So like, that's the good part, right? Like he was electric in terms of striking guys out, but he had a lot of pitches because he had a lot of guys on base. Now, granted, he stranded him fine, but if he wants to be a starter and he's going to start, he's going to start against the Cubs next Tuesday night, which I think is definitely one for Brewer fans to keep an eye on. Like, he has to have some clean innings. Like, he can't do this every inning. If you're going to be a successful pitcher like Peralta, like we hope he is, um, you cannot have, you know, these sort of all-over-the-place innings where you're pitching, I don't know, I don't even really know where, where Peralta end up in terms of pitches. But he just cannot do that if he wants to be a successful starter. He's going to have to learn how to have a few clean innings here and there. So Peralta in two innings pitched, had 53 pitches yesterday. He had, for reference, Brandon Woodruff had 78 in four innings. Willie, uh, Freddie, I don't know why I want to say Willie Peralta. I think because Mitch mentioned it. I almost wrote that uh, when I was doing a, a star rating on stotepwi.com. Um, Freddie had 53 pitches. So like, yeah, he struck out six batters. He also walked three. Like, I know we want to be excited about the strikeouts, but he put on five guys on base. I mean, they were very lucky that Freddie didn't blow up. Freddie had all the makings of blowing up. So I guess I have to give him credit there. But I also am like kind of waiting, proceeding with caution when they face the Cubs in a couple or next week with Freddie Peralta on the mound because I don't know that didn't elicit much confidence. It didn't. It looked just like the same Freddie Peralta we've seen time and again, where it's like. Yeah, he's good. He can get strikeouts, but he leaves some. He has some guys on base, and he's more of a reliever than he's a starter. So I, I'll be curious to watch that start um, next Tuesday because I wasn't really left with a ton of confidence. Other things that I know, I know Omar Narvaez two for five. Now he had a hit that could have driven a run. Look, uh, it's similar with Christian Yelich, who I guess we can lump in here too. I want to see the guys who are hitting who did not hit last year kind of start to improve, kind of see success. I guess Avisail Garcia could be thrown into that mix too. Also was two for five. Yelich, two for four. So it was good to see some of the guys who struggled last year have multiple hits. Not saying they needed to hit home runs, not saying they needed to, you know, have this monster three for four game with like three doubles or something like that. Just to see these guys hitting is a nice transition from spring training. Now, on the inverse, Kurt Keston here going 0 for 5, two strikeouts, a little bit worrisome. And I, I don't know how long 
the Brewers are going to stick with Hura at the two spot. I think they're going to give him time, right? You're like, wow, that really is an overreaction. But I, I do wonder if Garcia starts to hit or if Shaw's hitting, like, are they going to sw- swap Shaw and Hira and Shaw ends up being the two hitter? No, probably not because he's a left-handed bat. So maybe, yeah, I don't know what they do there. That'll be that'd be an interesting conundrum for Craig Council. Now, granted, we all know Craig Council, the alchemist, as my dad likes to call him, he will figure it out. Maybe swap Garcia and Hira and maybe have Hira bat behind Christian Yelich. I don't know. We'll see what they do. Um, and again, it's one game, right? Like, it, you know, obviously, El Garcia could go on a massive cold streak and Keston Hira could get red hot. And then it really, it, it all, it all doesn't matter. So, those were all interesting stuff. I thought Josh Hader, um, just the amount of fucking smoke that guy was throwing yesterday was so impressive. He hit 100 on the dial. He was fired up to have the fans in the stand. That was pointed out by Brian Anderson and Bill Schroeder. I think that's totally right. I think Hader was electric. And he struck out uh, Williams uh, Astillo, probably butchered his name, and Luis Urias. Those guys have K rates of under 10%. Uh, Alstio is 4.4% and Arias is like 8% and Hayter struck him out both. So like in, in a situation, mind you, where there was a guy in second base where the whole reason both those guys were out of the plate while well, Arias was in the lineup, Alstio, uh, pinch hit, but they were in the lineup to just drive in the guy at second base. Like that was the whole goal there and Hayter shut them down. I think the commentary after the game that Josh Hayter, you know, is a real asset for those 10th inning situations is very true because of just the fact you have a man on second base. I know people don't like it. I I gotta be honest. I'm starting to come around on it a little bit. It shortens up baseball. And I know that people are like, this is not normal fireman, Fred. This rule sucks, yada, yada. Well, look, you gotta play to the casuals. And that's what Rob Manfred's trying to do. That is how you play the casuals because guess what? This game ended at 5.30 instead of if it's like a marathon sprint and it's 14 innings, well, then the bullpen is already wasted for and it's one game in and you basically have, I don't know, you go till 6.30, 7 o'clock and everybody's like, well, I'm fucked. Like I have dinner screwed up. I, I can't get a workout in if you're like me. So I, I like it. I'm going to say it. I like the 10 inning rule. I know a lot of purists don't. I like it. I think it, Brian Anderson was talking about it. It adds immediate drama. He's right. And so whatever, give it to me. I'm all right with it. I'm all right with the, this. It's going to screw the Brewers. But right now it's 1-0 in the Brewers' favor. It Once it screws the Brewers, I'm sure I'm going to be like, fuck this rule. I hate this rule. <laughs> because that's how it goes, right? That's, that's fandom in a nutshell. So those were some overreactions. I'm sure I missed some things. Brandon Woodruff, uh, Yardley, really, I wasn't impressed with. Uh, who else could I mention? I think that would probably be it. Those are the only two guys that will probably left. Um, so yeah, they have the Twins again on Saturday. It's weird they don't play today. I understand that it wasn't. It's only a three-game series. Some teams actually are taking Sunday off. I think I would have preferred that. Right? Play tonight play Saturday, and then take Sunday off. But whatever, teach their own. Um, so the Brewers get going on Saturday night. Corbin Burns versus Jose Barrios, an awesome pitching matchup. So I'll try to probably try to watch that on the DVR after um, because I'm going to be getting confirmed, as I've mentioned. Probably over-mentioned, but yeah. So I'll definitely check that one out. By the way, Bally Sports, 
I hate their graphics. It's look, I am not great with change. Their graphics stink. Their graphics just stink out loud. There's nothing more you can say about it. It's not, it's not great. But let's waste no more time. Let's not get distracted from talking tight ends with Murph. Building the draft manifesto is here. So we will get into that right now. All right. It is yet another edition of Building Murph's Draft Manifesto. We are on to tight ends. It is not a position of need for the Packers at all, but I think what we've learned with the Packers is you can never have enough tight ends. No, Matt LaFleur loves them. I love tight ends. Bill Belichick loves tight ends. It's probably the most interesting position, I think, in the NFL right now, other than quarterback and how it's evolved in the last five years. Yeah, tight ends have had an interesting timeline in the last five years, right? I think we were at the... Five years ago, it was a lot of the athletic tight ends who didn't really block, and it was kind of the people were taking way too as you know, yeah. I know. A, but no, people were taking too many flyers on these athletes, right. and they never could figure out how to block. Right, and now it's evolved to Gronk, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz. I think is also a pretty good blocker. George Kittle, George Kittle, thanks. That's a good one, and Robert Tanyan, obviously. Yeah, Robert Tanyan figuring out how to block as a former quarterback at Indiana State was one of the highlights of the 2020 season for the Packers. Big Bob looks like our future Mark Tremura. Yeah. That, right? I mean, best tight end we've had. I always say Chewy was better than J-Mike. Just yeah, absolutely. because no, longevity. J-Mike was a freak athlete. But, but J-Mike, J-Mike was similar block. to that conversation we just had, right? He was like, the, the flare-out guy. Yeah, yeah. So, and right now the tight end position is really interesting for the Packers. They have a lot of them, but you could say it's in flux because... Robert Tunyon just got a restricted free agent tender. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent next year or is it a year after? Next year. He would, if we lost him this year, we would get a second round pick. Yeah. I, the Packers have an opportunity to match that deal. I think they're ready to do that and Russ Ball will get unique. But we don't want to, we, I mean, the floor for Robert Tunyon got reset with Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. Right. Which is scary to pay a tight end $50 million. Agreed. And that's where you could still draft one and make a case for one, even if it's not a strong tight end draft um, by yeah. any means. But Josiah Deguerra is fullback tight end, H-back position. They loved him. If you go back and watch week one and week two, before he twisted his ankle, before he then blew his knee out in special teams, which was not his fault, it was someone else on the Packers special teams. Right. Per bomb again, they were getting Josiah Degara. Oh, they loved jo- on they love Josiah yeah. on like release late routes. I mean, there's a reason they drafted him so high. There's a reason they got persecuted for driving it so high because people didn't get it. And then right away, his snap count was way up. Also, my guy Dominique Daphne also going down the Indiana State pipeline. Is Indiana State a football school? Some are now saying it's been a while since Larry Legend was there in the early '80s, but Dominique Daphne was an H-back. He bounced around, went to Iowa for a year, ended up at Indiana State. He ran H-back Wildcat quarterback for them. Ran for like over 200 yards in one game. He then was uh, signed by the Colts. When we picked him up mid-season, Chuck, I was like, dude, check out this Dominique Daphne. Oh, yeah, you were all in on He has John Smith in him. That's who he is. So, with all that said, I hope we bring back Mercedes Lewis. Big dog, just as a blocker, locker room player coach guy that's up in the air yeah when we tape this but your guy jay sternberger who i liked coming out of i was college. on jace i was on jace island i committed to jace island it looks like we 
there was worse draft picks at tight end in that draft if you go back and we don't need to go down memory lane, but where are you at with Jace? Um, I'm pretty much off the island because can't stay healthy. Um, unfortunately, he's ran into some un- unfortunate concussions. Well, that I saw one two years ago with my grandpa at a Packers-Texans scrimmage. Yeah. He gets the, his ear hole knocked out, and he really hasn't been the same since. No. It was a massive hit. It was a dirty hit. It was a hit that shouldn't have happened in a training camp environment. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is you have it where, uh, I don't know where Jace comes. I don't know if he's on this roster come August because he just has not shown that next step. And I realize tight ends take a while to develop. I get that they, they do, but... Look at Tanya. I was ready to right. be done with Tanya a year right. ago. I didn't, oh, I didn't see it. I mean, remember, we, would, we were talking in fantasy, not to bring up bad memories, but I was like, I think Tanya should be a guy you draft. And, and I, like, I didn't get you it. You told me I was fucking crazy. You're like, you're nuts. And I was like, no, no, no. I think he's actually worth a, worth a flyer. And, and everyone thinks he's going to be a regression guy. Oh, yeah. So much. But I regression's tough, man. Regression sometimes is bullshit. There's not a lot of regression with Aaron Rodgers. It's exactly. Exact, his bad years are most guys' great years. Exactly. But let's get into the actual position. Oh, one quick thing on Jason. Yeah. By the end of the year, he was uh, not suited up. No. And Dominique Daphne had figured out how to play special teams. Right. That's why he also got some looks on in the red zone, and that's why he caught a wide-open touchdown against the Bears. Right. And that is might be the reason why Jace does not become a Packer next year is because he doesn't have the special team stuff. So that's the setup right there. Let's go into our top five-ish guys that we like for the Packers and zero in. Yeah. First guy is Tommy Tremble. Um, from Notre Dame, he is a run blocker. He can catch the ball. He has that H-back ability. He just screams Packers. If, they don't, if they're not as high on Daphne as maybe Murph is, he could easily replace replace Daphne in what he does. Ravion Jordan is a guy I like a lot of Miami. Now, I don't like him in the second round. I like him actually slipping into day three as a fourth-round pick. Right. Has a lot of David Njoku similarities, same type of build. He is more of a wide receiver than a blocker, but if you can get him in the fourth round and take a flyer on him and see if he figures out to be a receiver or tight end, why not? He's an athletic dude, and we always need more offensive playmakers because we can't bank on Alan Lazard doing what he did last year. We can't bank on MVS catching the balls he did. I think that's actually the biggest outlier of the Packers' offensive pass-catching weapons. Sure. Is what happens if MVS drops four more balls? Right. Then it's a huge problem. Then we right. lose some more games. Right, exactly. And that that's a really good point. And maybe that is the regression type. And so you start to look for those hybrid guys. And again, you're looking for that Jace replacement. Like Kenny Yaboa from Ole Miss is a guy who could really sort of fill that role. I mean, he was a high school receiver. Not a great blocker, but can catch the ball from Old Miss, who if you listen to our wide receiver pod, you we would hear how high we are on Elijah Moore and Old Miss receivers. What's the difference with an Old Miss tight end? So I think that there is a pedigree there and Yaboa could play there. And I'm I'm, I'm into it and think it's a, another guy kind of similar to Jordan that could really sort of develop as a as a stud. So we mentioned Mercedes Lewis uh un seen or up in the air, excuse me, if he'll be back. What about just finding his replacement in Nick Eubanks in the fifth round from Michigan? A dude that is a Big Ten blocker, and maybe he develops into a receiver. But we we have the plug and play. This dude can be, you know, a sixth uh, offensive lineman, a third tackle. We've done well out of Michigan as of late with John Runyon Jr. I'm sure we saw Eubanks, who played a lot over his career, pop up on film. Do you like that as a player? Yeah, I I do. I think I actually like that better than Ben Mason, who's also in that Michigan category. Because 
Mason's more like Degura, and if they weren't sold on Degura, maybe you look at a guy like Ben Mason, who was a former fullback and then went to tight end. Just really athletic dude, um, can kind of play all over, um, which, again, is a weirdly a weapon, as we've talked about in other podcasts, just in a different way, more as a blocker than anything else. So I don't think, I think Eubanks is more of that solve, and he, he's a little bigger, and so I think that's that's where you probably go versus Mason. So when you think of under-the-radar pass catchers and tight ends and receivers, sometimes how they're found is when GMs scout quarterbacks. Yeah. And this guy, Matt Bushman, he is going to show up on film when you look at Zach Wilson BYU tape. Now, he was hurt in preseason practice, so you have to go back to 2019 film. But he is an athletic guy. I love taking a flyer on someone that's been hurt in the yeah, sixth and seventh round. That. Yeah, for sure. He, he's a pass catching guy. Runs a four seven. I haven't watched the Zach Wilson tape, you know, like Todd McShay has yet. Just haven't fitted into the schedule. Uh, we'll see if we get there. But I like taking flyers in the sixth and seventh round on these guys because that's what those picks are for. Exactly. They are high reward, low risk. Yeah, I never get when people get all fired up about six and seven rounders, where it's like, you guys realize that these guys aren't a future. Like, they they could be. You know, you get Mark Mark Tauscher. You get but, a Donald Driver, great. Right, yeah. right. but it's not, it's not what you expect, right? And so it's like, you just hope that one of those guys pans out. Um, so I'm with you. I like Tony Poljean, who also is in that flyer category, six, seven out of Virginia. Um, I just having a six, seven guy around the end zone for Aaron Rodgers, I feel like it's just an advantage. It's not fair. Um, so I, I really do. I do like that as a potential late flyer as well. So my Notre Dame Falcons out of Ohio on the east side of Cleveland, uh, Zaire Mitchell playing spring football. So there's going to be a couple cases this year with FCS football, you know, not going in the fall of 2020 that's going on right now. There is going to be a few guys that get drafted in the NFL draft because they just played their four games in the spring. Right. Zaire Mitchell is a seventh-round flyer, uh, very athletic, 6'7", 250, runs a 4.75. Into it. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame Falcons, let's go. That's wh- yeah, that's where I'm at with Packers. I don't think it'll be addressed in round one or round two, but it gives us a great opportunity to turn to guys we don't want to see. Well, the obvious, the obvious one is Kyle Pitts. Right. So like, let, let's just circle in here on Kyle Pitts. Doesn't isn't there a red flag of taking a tight end that high? Oh yeah, it's totally. It's uh, it, there is name the last great tight end. You can't. It, that's the thing. So I'm like everybody keeps saying like Kyle Pitts is different, and the kids now say like built different. Like I, I get it, but the facts are Eric Ebron absolute mess. As a you know now he figured his shit out, but. He was terrible. Kind of, to be like a representable, right. above the replacement level right. NFL tight end. Right. TJ Hawkinson, jury's still out. And I love TJ Hawkinson. See, I don't think the jury's out. I just think that Matt Stafford didn't give a shit about tight ends. Okay. So maybe Jared Goff does, and maybe Hawkinson, you know, rises up. Before that, it was, uh, oh, God, I just had his name. He played for the Jets years ago. Mitchell? I'd have to, Yeah. Oh, shit. Great research here. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is bad. But uh, he, they had a, You're not thinking of Kyle on. Brady, right? Kyle, yeah, I am thinking of Kyle Brady. That was a long time ago. Other than that... Top there, pick, though. I know. There's been some busts. Like, Jeremy Shockey, oh, never yeah. that good. Bubba Franks was just, you know... Th- it's a different time at tight end, but we've seen the overdrafting of certain positions when they blow up. 
very similar to the slot receiver, where we saw yeah. people, everybody wanted the Tyree Kale. Well, you can't find a Tyree Kale because he had awful off-the-field issues, and that's why right. he was found so late. So if Kyle Pitts goes to, like, the Eagles, let's just say, all right, that's six. Are we worried about that? Are we, like, is the Eagles that narrow? like, wow, they're starting to build something here? Or are we, are we like, that's ah, whatever? Kyle Pitts of the Bears is what worries me. Oh, but they I already mean, drafted Cole Komet, but that would be the most Bears thing to do with Jimmy Graham, with Cole Komet, to then take Kyle Pitts. And or that's the Vikings. They, but they have um, Irv Smith Jr., who oh, they like true. a lot, and who that's I liked true. a lot out of Alabama. And the Lions have TJ Hawkinson, so I, I don't see a lot of fits other than the Eagles. Um, maybe the Washington football team, but they seem to like their tight ends a little bit. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, They like the Logan Niners, Thomas. The Niners are a guy. I love Logan Thomas. My former Heisman pick back uh, in 2012. Uh, Arizona Cardinals would be a little problematic for Kyle Pitts. If you but that goes back to this Cliff Kingsbury not to use a tight end. Fuck that. No, I don't. Cliff Kingsbury is terrible. One of the worst coaches in football. Again, looking forward to short next the Arizona Cardinals. So, like, Kyle Pitts, if he's drafted in the top ten, what does he need to do? Like, he needs to make a couple Pro Bowls. Oh, yeah. You need to make a couple Pro Bowls and, and be on a playoff winner. Like, if Kyle Pitts goes to Cincinnati, which is really high, and if I'm Cincinnati and I want to draft Kyle Pitts... I don't know how you I, do it. I trade, I trade down. Yes. I trade down. Or, I mean, you unless Sewell's not on the board, you can't do that. Because yeah. I guess Joe Burrow wants to play a couple more years and not get yeah. his other knee blown out. Yeah. you got to draft a lineman if you're From someone you're that has a blown ACL right now? Yeah, yeah exactly. Not, not an ideal thing you'd exactly. sign up for every day? Exactly. Hey, we're four podcasts in. We're just going to probably mention his ACL at least in like eight. Like, we're at least, Vegas has it at least that. Wait till we get my, me mentioning my ACL sponsored. That, that, that is soon to come <laughs> because that's just how I work. But, yeah, I think he'd have to do something special. And he'd have to be at that level of... Gronk in his prime, Travis Kelsey where he is now. Um, I think Zach Ertz was maybe in a tier below that. I think even if he is like a Zach Ertz, I think that's still pretty good. But Zach Ertz worked out. He was Andrew Luck's go-to, right. I mean, at the end of the day, right? He did, but he, he was a fourth-round pick. Right? Yeah. So so he's not – but I'm saying like – These guys I'm don't just, go in the top Yeah, 10. but that's what I'm saying where it's like – that's, that's what I would say where Pitts would have to be at to be like – people are like, oh, yeah, I'm all in on it. Pat Fryermuth is the next rated oh, yeah. tight end. He feels like he should have played in the 90s. Yeah. Like, that's just his, his game is Kyle Brady. Penn State. I mean, he's Penn State. Kyle Brady went to Penn State. Mike he's Kisecki, Jason Witten. Mike Gusecki went to Penn Mike State. Mike Gusecki is more of an end zone, like, yeah. real down-the-field threat. One of the worst fantasy players to ever have in your Pat Fryermuth is your, like, standard Madden creative player tight end. He's 6'5", white, 256. Just button hook every time. Just He's right there. Yeah, he just chips linebackers all day. Not a great tight end class after Kyle Pitts. It's no. flyers left and right, which is where the position is now kind of settled in because Travis Kelsey and Gronk and Bob Tanyan and everyone else were not picked in the first round. These guys, this is a hard position right now. Other than quarterback, the hardest position, I think, to project. Maybe you could throw in edge rusher and offensive tackle there, yeah. but it's the hardest position to project in the NFL. So I'm Because it's not used yeah. that much in college football. I loved Harrison Bryant last year, and I was right. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Bryant is going to be in the NFL for a long time. Yeah, he's good Browns out of FAU. Can I resell a swag sag on you? Yes. Um, how would you feel if an NFC rival traded for Zach Ertz? And if you were the Packers, would you trade for Zach Ertz? If I was the Packers for nothing, or you know, I don't want to re-sign Zach Ertz. Right. I don't think he It'd wants a, a new contract. This the NFC North is kind of stocked at tight end. Yeah, Cole Komet, 
Yeah, you got T.J. Hawkinson. You got Irv Smith. Oh, that's true. Uh, you know where, where does Kyle Rudolph land? That is he went where, to the Giants. Oh, Giants. Excuse me. We'll never hear from him again. <laughs> Good luck with Danny Dimes. <laughs> well, I, I I think at least having Rudolph there, Evan Ingram has been another one that's again similar conversation we had about these athletic guys who. We all were fucking all liked Evan Ingram. Do I need Kyle Pitts on the Falcons? Probably not. Oh, yeah. that would be that scary. Would be bad. Julio, that would be a, uh, a matchup nightmare. And I say the Falcons because you look around the NFC, the only teams I'm worried about right now are the 49ers, the Buccaneers, and the Seahawks. Yeah. And the Falcons are lurking. We've had a lot of bad memories with them. Yep. A lot of great memories with them. But we have a long-standing history of not being able to guard Julio, and they have torched us numerous times. That would be scary, but doesn't that just feel like them not addressing a need? This, it would be very Falcons to... But Thomas Dimitrov no longer there. Yeah, but it would be very Falcons to trade down from... And Terry Fontenot comes from the Saints, where the Saints have done a pretty good job of roster building. Yeah. They, they deal with fake money. It's I don't even understand their cap situation and what they... How Mickey Loomis does it, it doesn't seem like he does get his dick sucked a lot for not being that good. I just I don't I don't think Mickey Loomis is that good of a GM. Well he's too worried. I mean he got Zion in New Orleans. Right. <laughs> when you're the Pelicans GM and the Saints GM, yeah. uh, there's only so many hours in the day. You're wearing a lot of hats. Would you if asked, would you be the Packers GM and the Bucks GM if asked? <laughs> Where do I sign up? Uh, I mean, that would be terrible for the Bucks more than the Packers. Are you That's kidding me? It can't oh. be any worse than oh. right now. Oh. I would have done the PJ Tucker deal oh. three weeks ago for right. when people are listening yeah, to this. this is, yeah, this is like four weeks after. So then PJ Tucker has been well established as a Bucks player by now. But seriously, um, on a Moda 3 billboard, hopefully this, at some point. Yeah, this tight end class is not that exciting. Little poo poo. We, we've now done four of these, and two times we've been like, eh, I don't know. I do like the line offensive linemen. I'm excited to talk about the linemen. I'm excited to talk about some of the edge guys. Um, so we have that coming up. Stay tuned. Subscribe, rate, review. Follow us on Twitter, SongTapWI, at The Nolan Murphy. I'm also on Instagram, just yelling into into a camera. Um, so we'll see you guys. Chuck online. rumored to be going to either Cam Soda or OnlyFans soon. With how much success he's had on Instagram with videos. Oh, yeah. We will talk to you with the guys in the middle of the line. People getting muddy next. The hog mollies. That was a good greeting, please. All right, see ya. All right, that was Murph and I on tight ends. Offensive linemen to come next week. We are taping it on Saturday. I'm very excited to talk offensive linemen. As you know, I am a former offensive lineman. I'll probably remind you guys that on the episode next week. But yeah, we're going to talk linemen. And then we will also probably do on Friday uh, defensive linemen as well, um, interior defensive linemen. And then the following week, we'll have edge, linebacker, and then lastly, secondary. And we'll be good to go and we'll be ready for the draft. And we'll probably have Murph on tapping the keg to kind of do a larger draft show the week of the NFL draft to kind of talk through what the Packers might do, what might happen in the division what might happen with the rivals. So get ready for that. All right, let's wrap up with the Milwaukee Bucks. So we taped uh, Tabbing the Keg, which you can go back and listen to. Really good show, I thought. Mitch and I talked opening day. We didn't talk like opening day. We talked about just what's going on with the Brewers this season. We talked about some Bucks stuff, which I I should clean up. I had some of the COVID stuff wrong. I appreciate nobody fact-checking me. Um, I think their record's a little bit better, but the point still remains that they've only lost nine games with their full roster. So that that point still still stands. 
Um, hopefully they can get Bobby Portis back. I don't know if Bobby Portis is just out for this trip. Um, I'm sure we'll know more when the Big Jays meet with Bud before tonight's game against Portland. So the Bucks do have the Blazers tonight. Um, they've always matched up well with the Blazers. They've won their last three matchups against Portland and it hasn't been close in any of that. Bucks actually have won, I think, the last seven of eight. Now this spans, be- this is like pre-Bud. But yeah, the Bucks seemingly do well against the Blazers, mostly because the matchup is great. No, there is not a guy on that Blazers roster that can keep up with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, the Bucks are favored by three and a half for those that are curious. The Blazers are coming in kind of hot. They've won four straight, but you look at the teams they've beat in that four-game streak. It's Miami, who was kind of in a rut for a little while. They've pulled themselves out of it. Orlando, who's bad, Toronto, very bad, and Detroit. Now, granted, it was all on the road, so that's impressive. They swept a road trip, but it seems like Portland has been a team that they beat up on the good teams, or bad teams. They do not do well against the better teams. Bucks, remember, beat them 134 to 106 um, earlier this season at home. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that one. Um, Drew Holiday against Damian Lillard. Drew put the clamps on him last time. I expect something similar uh, from Holiday. He was great on Wednesday night. Um, So really good stuff from him against the Lakers. I was very impressed with what Holiday sort of brought to the table in that game. I think we saw exactly what could potentially be Holiday in the playoffs in that game. And I know the Lakers were shorthanded. I'm not, not trying to draw, and again, not trying to draw any overreactions there. But you kind of saw what it would look like if he was more the second option than Chris Middleton. Now, Chris Middleton actually shot the ball more. He had 18 attempts to Holiday's 16. Holiday much more efficient, though. He he was 11 of 16. Middleton, 8 of 18. So I think we kind of saw what it would be like if Holiday was the second banana, not Chris Middleton. And And look, the whole banana thing is subjective in nature, right? Like anyone really can be the banana. Um, anyone can be that second second guy to Giannis. Anyone can be Giannis's Robin at any given moment. So I'm not I'm not worried about you know the kind of whoops is the second banana. I think those guys are interchangeable. But I think we saw what Holiday can be with that. So I'm excited to watch and see if Holiday kind of carries that over since he did well the first time against the Blazers. Um, definitely a tough matchup. They do get CJ McCollum back in this matchup which they didn't have the first time around. So maybe that does help Portland. But yeah, this is a game I think the Bucks should win. And then if they can win this one, they go to Sacramento. And Sacramento's been playing well. Um, they got pumped by uh, San Antonio when on Wednesday night. But Sacramento is playing well. Their defense is awful. So that is an advantage to the Bucks, obviously. And if the Bucks take advantage of that, you know, maybe they'll be they'll be in an all right spot. I mean, if the Bucks win sweep the weekend and they're four and two on this road trip. We enter house money status at that point, or three and two, or three and one. Jesus, if we're three and one, I think then we're like, all right, rest of the road trip's great. It's gravy. That's good. Uh, Bucks at thir- thirty and seventeen, just trying to make up games if they can. But it's hard because Brooklyn and Philly seem to win every night, and they took care of business last night against. Uh, Cleveland and Charlotte, respectively. So the Bucks lose a half game on their competition. But that'll do it for us. That'll be the show. Um, we'll be back Monday. We will talk Brewers. We'll talk Bucks. Uh, probably maybe a little Final Four, just because on that in the national championship game, if we get Gonzaga Baylor, 
I expect we do. Um, if we were doing a little quick Snowtap WI gambling show, um, I would say take UCLA plus the 13. I don't know. I, I think like the favorites, like you could do definitely like a money line parlay with Gonzaga Baylor and find a third team. I just look at UCLA and they like to make it ugly. You know, the last time there was a large spread in a Final Four like this, Duke didn't even come close to covering. I just could see UCLA fighting. They just, I think, have the momentum. And I, I in a weird way, I think like the fact that they're not leaving Indianapolis, I feel like helps. Like, I feel like it's just really helps them, you know, keep that momentum and they don't, there's no distractions, right? They're so dialed in. And I think that's where I kind of go with UCLA. As for Houston Baylor, I love Baylor. I, I think Baylor is probably one of my favorite plays. I don't know if it's still five. I probably like it at six. I, but, but yeah, I, I think Baylor is probably one of my favorite plays of the weekend. I, I will load up on Baylor. Um, I recommend you do the same. Um, but if you don't take my advice, that's okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not one to talk. I've been, been kind of cold, um, the last few weeks. So that'll do it. Um, we'll be back on Monday, as mentioned, uh, look forward to talking to you guys then. All right. See you.